Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The bane of every music lover in this city is that no matter how much we grow, we still get skipped over by too many touring artists that we'd really like to see. Whether it's Wilco, Boy Genius, Janelle Monet, Lauren Hill, Springsteen, and on and on, we saw tour announcements this year and us not on the list. But okay, Boise and Reno... Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we're bringing back a conversation I had with entertainment producer Seth Yudoff. He explains why musicians don't always make money here and how the city can change that. It's Monday, October 23rd. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Longtime Las Vegas entertainment producer, Seth Yudoff. Welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, thanks for joining us, Seth. You know, when I was a kid growing up here in Las Vegas, seeing a favorite band on tour wasn't always a sure thing. In fact, oftentimes it was a big disappointment. I guess there just seems to be still this very common complaint that a lot of popular acts simply skip over Las Vegas for places like Phoenix or Salt Lake City or even, God forbid, Reno, uh, which is obviously a much smaller city. I'm talking bands like The Cure, Bruce Springsteen, Love and Rockets, uh, Boy Genius, uh, Tegan and Sarah, a member of the K-pop group BTS, all recently skipping us on their 2023 tour. So why is that still? I mean, I think the issue with performing in Vegas is that on any given night, uh, there are over 100 shows happening, and the competition is just stiffer here than it is anywhere else, really, in the in the country. And you're not just competing against shows, you're competing against, you know, restaurants, celebrity chef restaurants. If you live in the Midwest and you don't have a Gordon Ramsay restaurant, and the only reservation you can get here is at eight or nine o'clock at night, then that's competing with your ability to go see a show also. You know, I've done a lot of residency shows here, short-term residencies mostly. And when you talk about the size venue that someone's going to play, it's often a quarter to a third the size here than it would be when they're on tour. Because somebody who's playing Syracuse, New York, they're one of you know three major things happening that night. They can pack a big room. But when you compete against 100 other shows and the, the restaurants, you know, it makes Vegas a very difficult market. And, and then what happens is the artist has to decide, do they want to play Vegas enough that they are willing to play for a smaller house and therefore less money? I, I know that often we think of the big money for these residencies. You know, these artists come here and make big money, but they make big money because they're here for an extended run. They're not moving their team around, not moving their equipment around. But as a one-nighter, 
it becomes tough if you have to play Vegas for you know a third of the audience. And I assume that like you get a Taylor Swift or a Beyonce or someone else selling out something like the Allegiant Stadium, they're going to make a ton of money. Are those really the only acts that are making that kind of money in Vegas right now? Well, I mean, that kind of money is, is insane doing, doing the stadium. But um, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of talk about uh, which, which resident shows are making what kind of money. And I don't want to pretend like I'm privy to something uh, that I'm not. But there was a time in which the resident shows were very unique to Vegas. And this goes in waves, right? But, you know, when Elvis was famously here, you, he wasn't touring. You had to come here to see him. When Lady Gaga started her residency here, that show was unique, something you had to come here to see. She was selling out like crazy. Uh, certainly the, the start of this round of residencies was Britney Spears, and she really wasn't touring at all. So when she opened here, that was a really big deal. But yeah, I just think you'll find that a lot of the artists that are doing residencies now are kind of doing this same show, similar show here that they do when they tour. And it be- starts to become... Uh, less special, makes it less of a destination to come see them in Vegas. You know, I I personally don't think that that has a, that there's a long-term business model in that. That's going to start to wear thin when people realize they can see the same show coming through their town uh, in a slightly larger venue than they could see in Vegas for three times the price. And the concept of residency as a business model does interest me. So we we hear about the big ones, which are you know, going to be surefire sales, right? Adele or Katy Perry or U2 or Garth Brooks, whatever it might be. Those seem to be a lower risk for the casinos, but a few that probably were a little bit more risk. I mean, uh, I appreciate the music of of CeeLo Green quite a bit. Uh, I wouldn't put him in the same category as Adele or U2. Uh, are casino properties motivated to still bring uh, those those size acts to town these days, uh, based on the 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 way business models are working in 2023. I think when you ask that question, the important component to the answer is that the casinos are generally not bringing in those artists. They're it's more like they're approving someone else bringing in the artist. So in the most of the shows we've talked about uh, so far as big residency shows are promoted by Live Nation or AEG. Um, in the case of the CeeLo Green show that I talked about, uh, I brought that in. Uh, I put CeeLo you know, as, a, as a more boutique business, but certainly than Live Nation. We brought him into the barge at Caesars Palace. So it was a 150-seat venue. So it was an elevated ticket price. It was a really interesting experience. You know, I believe in what I call destination-worthy entertainment when you're talking about what needs to happen in Vegas. And um, so that was my approach to that. And I've done a lot of putting, you know, larger artists in smaller spaces to try to make something interesting happen here. Uh, I did a lot of shows with Caesars in the last decade. And, you know, they were a very good partner in a lot of those. But sometimes you're just dealing with a monster company that means well but still can't move as nimbly as a small company, which makes it hard to do interesting things. You know, they're, they're good at big things. They're not necessarily as good at uh, a boutique approach doing smaller, interesting things. And, and it is an interesting way. I had a, a very dear friend of mine who did an extended stay at Caesars Palace named uh, Puddle's Pity Party. And it's one of those shows that I'm glad people got to see. But it still kind of comes back to the idea of a lot of people skipping 
Las Vegas. I don't know. I I wonder if this is a basic question, Seth, but do acts even like playing in Las Vegas? Is that part of the problem? Why some people really skip us? Well, I think what happens is it's a little bit, it's similar to my answer about an act being okay playing a venue that is a third the size of what they would play elsewhere. Because what happens is we have so much going on here that an act that is used to being the center of attention when they go somewhere may end up playing an off-strip casino. Right. You know, again, we're not talking the, the arena acts, right? I think arena acts are arena acts, and, and that works pretty much anywhere. But, you know, when you're talking a, a mid-level or even a lower-level artist, like, they might not hit the strip at all. They might end up off-strip at the Cannery Hotel or, you know, the Orleans, where they end up at a downtown venue. And then ego comes into play. And does that act want to say, you know, oh, we played Vegas. Where'd you play? The cannery. Never heard of it, you know. And yeah, that, you know, it doesn't look good on their tour history when they're looking to book elsewhere. Whereas a residency, you know, when I talk to an artist about doing something they can call a residency in Vegas, some sort of sit down, I get an unbelievable break in price from the artists themselves because they know that they can now play a, a, a nicer venue by name at least i'm not saying by the way the cannery has a great venue i'm not bashing their venue i'm just saying you know but if they want to if they'd rather say oh i played the flamingo or i played you know certainly caesar's palace then they could do the sit down they maybe don't make money they maybe lose money in some cases but they could ride that i had a vegas residency for quite a while it's funny enough you know i do a lot of work with hip-hop artists actually and uh, i had a show here at the Paris called I Love the 90s. I did a, a reboot under my own brand or our own brand uh, called Boombox that we had at the Westgate last year. And it's a little bit of a challenge because hip hop doesn't always find its way onto the strip, at least not major rooms, which is what made it so attractive to those artists, these mostly 90s era uh, hip hop artists, because they don't, instead of playing a, a nightclub or playing off strip, they can say, I played the Paris or I played. The Westgate, or I played a major hotel, major showroom. So, you know, we work together. I do my best to make them look really good on stage, put a lot of production into it. They do their best to make it financially viable for me, for us as a show. And it's, it's a, yeah, hopefully it's a win win. Yeah. And I appreciate that Vegas cachet does have something, but it has to be that right fit. They don't want to be, you know, I did a residency in Vegas at the back room at Boomers. Just right. To, <laughs> exactly. For for all our old school listeners, a uh, place that used to do a lot of a lot of ragtag shows. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas's most talked about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. 
Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. Uh, Las Vegas has also seen an uptick, Seth, in festivals over the past decade. Talking Life is Beautiful, When We Were Young, iHeartRadio, Lovers and Friends, Sick New World, Punk Rock Bowling, on and on. Does does that work out financially better for some mid-level bands so that Vegas would see bands that were maybe skipping us before? Certainly it does. I mean, they when a band plays a festival, they generally have to agree to a radius clause, meaning they can't play in the same market within a certain amount of time, you know, a certain amount of miles, certain number of miles. Ooh. So it's a way for bands that aren't generally playing Vegas to be seen here. I, I like some of the festivals we've been seeing lately. They're, they're interesting. They're not just another version of something that we're seeing everywhere else. And, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll hear me say the phrase again, I've already said it, but I love, I love when Vegas has destination worthy entertainment. I feel like we need that. I love when Vegas has stuff that you don't expect to come to Vegas. And I think people sometimes forget, uh, and by people, I mean acts or their promoters, forget that there are still 2.5 million people who are craving stuff that's not on the Strip. So, Seth, what can Las Vegas do to catch more bands that we seem to lose to tinier towns? Well, I think the some more diversity in the venues. You know, Vegas makes it very hard on smaller uh, promoters, producers, and certainly smaller acts, because it's really geared around the bigger, the bigger shows and and the bigger venues, and you know all the stuff you read about Ticketmaster and all that stuff that's been happening. Like in Vegas, it's times ten. Not if you're Bruno Mars, but if you're, you know, if you're me putting a show up or you're uh, a, a small concert promoter and you're stuck in a venue that has to and forces you to use Ticketmaster, it becomes prohibitively expensive. You know, my personal feeling on what's happening with corporatization in Vegas is that it's probably going to backfire in a significant way over the course of the next few years. And you're already seeing, you know, huge business off the strip when you see uh, what's happening to Area 15. And when you see, like, they just built a $30 million theater downtown, Beverly Theater. Now, it's not direct competition for what's happening in the casinos, but it's offering a an upscale alternative, though, and it's and it's very impressive space. If you've, I don't know if you've seen it yet, you know I think you're seeing a push to do things that are affordable and less corporate, and I think that will help as time goes on because that will create spaces that are interesting and that don't kill the business for those you know smaller mid-sized acts. Yeah. I mean, corporatization just sounds like a nasty thing that always is kind of short term over long term. But, you know, one thing uh, and uh, I, I think you might have been aware of this very directly is that when the When We Were Young Festival got canceled because of weather uh, and a lot of those bands were kind of in Vegas anyway, many of them found venues that then drew lots of locals to be able to go out to the show, places that could handle some of those mid-level acts. And 
I was hoping that somehow that would inspire more of of those level bands to come back to Vegas saying, yeah, we were supposed to play at the big festival. We wound up at the Sandauer uh, downtown at the Plaza Hotel, and it was wonderful. It was packed with people, and it was a great enthusiastic crowd. We should go back there again. I mean, it, it, there are interesting venues, and I agree that there could be more, more diverse ones. And I do love the Beverly Theater. We go there all the time. Actually, we did a live broadcast from there. So, yeah. But do you think that the future of bands coming of all sizes to Vegas is bright? Will we ever be on the unskippable list for any of them? Um, you know, what, when you're talking about the When We Were Young Festival uh, cancellation, that was amazing. We had bands playing in barbecue joints and, uh, you know, it was just all over. Like, that was, that was amazing. But I, unfortunately, I think it still goes back to ego. People play Vegas for a reason. It's one thing if you're here and you want to do something cool and you're one of those bands, especially from that festival, which, you know, wants to still feel like a rebel. That makes sense. But do you come to Vegas to do that? Do you come to Vegas to play in some offbeat place? And I just don't think most do, especially those that have, you know, serious agencies that book them touring all the time. But I think there could be a space for it. And I'll tell you, I've been in conversations with major hotels about doing venues that have a much more decidedly underground approach to them. It needs to have enough appeal. If it's not financial, then I think, you know, again, ego comes into play. So they have to be, someone has to be able to look at that and say, well, that's a cool thing to do. I see why they did that. Even if it's smaller or it's off strip and they want to be on strip or vice versa, by the way, because there are also a lot of acts that consider themselves, you know, legit, legit musicians, and they don't want to play a casino. I used to manage, one of my management clients was the band Blues Traveler. And, you know, Blues Travelers is a jam band, and they had a couple of enormous hits, but they're a really legit jam band, you know, real musicians. And, you know, I know they always kind of feel like playing a casino is a little bit like they sold out, you know, but they're also, these are guys in their 50s, you know, and there's money there. So, it's a it's a balance. Seth, last question, just for funsies. Uh, is there some band that hasn't made it to Las Vegas ever or maybe in a really long time that you would really wish would come here that you don't think is going to ever make it to Vegas? Oh, gosh. You're catching me off guard on this one. You know what? I, I'm going to try to – I'm going to flip this question on you a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I don't have a prepared answer for the band I think, you know, needs to come here that never has. But what I'll tell you is the tradition of the Vegas, you know, we always talk about like the Vegas back in the day, like it was developing stars, you know, and, and I feel like Vegas could do that again. We have so much, so much music in the last 15 years has originated from Vegas, like in the pop world, you know, Panic at the Disco and Magic Dragons and the Killers. And I think that that's what I, I would say. I'd love to see more music developing out of here artists developing i wish i just wish these casinos would understand what they have around them and embrace it and, and bring that up instead of you know bringing in uh outsiders because we really could create uh something special here and the infrastructure you know the, certainly the artistry is here because of all you know the musicians and the the talent on and off stage that that's here uh, and you're seeing studios develop now for both movies and, you know, recording. I uh, literally got a, got a text today from 
friend of mine who's uh, one of the biggest songwriters in the country uh, about a new studio opening up here that he's excited about. So I would love to see these casinos understand that they could create the next Bruno Mars. They could, you know, create the next Taylor Swift and, and develop that and make Vegas the place you have to come experience that and see that. And we wouldn't be talking about who's skipping Vegas. We'd be talking about why everyone has to come to Vegas and see those artists because they never go to their, to their town. Got it. Wow. Well, Seth Udoff, thanks so much for uh, breaking down why we're missing some of those shows here on uh, CityCast Las Vegas. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. I love talking about Vegas. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Who else skipped us this year that you would have seen in concert? Let us know in a review and show us a little love while you're at it. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Till then, stay lucky. In, in your mindset, what, what would qualify for a residency? How many shows within a 12-month period do you think makes for an appropriate use of, of the nomenclature residency? Yeah, this is a heavily debated Vegas topic, I think. Um, and I'm probably guilty of misusing it uh, on my own shows, frankly. But, you know, I think the idea of a residency to me is – at least a multi-week play, the idea that, that it's a sit-down for a period of time, 